0: Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ to practice authentic friendship and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. So friends, let's hear the Word of God for us this day. I invite you to pray with me, please. So, O God, your word is a light unto our path. Your word illuminates our whole lives. So shine your light upon us all. Draw us near to you. Help us to hear your word afresh and anew this day in a way that transforms us and changes us, we pray. Amen. Friends, listen for the word of God as it comes to us. This is the fifth chapter of John's Gospel, John 5, verses 2 through 9. So listen for the word of God for us this day. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethzatha, which has five porticoes. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had been there a long time, Jesus said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So, 38 years... 38 years. For 38 years, this man had been lying there by this pool. Uh, It's a pool near the Sheep Gate in the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, The tradition says that every once in a while, an angel would come and stir up the waters in the pool. And when that happens, whoever is there, if they can get into the pool first or near first, then they will be healed. That's what the tradition has said. So you can imagine believing that there are women and men, persons all around that pool, blind, lame, invalid, ill. This man has been there for 38 years. And you thought this quarantine was going on too long. He's been trying to be healed, you think. Jesus sees him, and the Bible says that Jesus knew he had been there a long time. And Jesus asks him this question He asks, Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? On the face of it, that has to be sort of an odd question for our Lord to ask this man, knowing that he's been there a long time. If, if I had been one of his disciples, which is one of the reasons why I'm not, I would have said to him, excuse me, Jesus, excuse me, did you really, a- did you ask him that question? Do you want me? He's been here a long time. What, what you think he's out here for the perfect tan? Why do you think he's lying here, Jesus? Of, of course he wants to be made well. But but the response from the man is fascinating. He doesn't even answer the Lord's question. Instead, he says, well, well, every time the water moves, I try to get down there, but there's no one here to help me. And besides that, someone gets in front of me and gets into the pool earlier. He doesn't answer the Lord's question. He actually makes excuses about why he's been there for 38 years and why he's not yet been healed One of my friends at Columbia Seminary, I taught with her for years, Beth Johnson, professor of New Testament, she wonders if Jesus asks the question, do you want to be made well? Because Jesus sensed that this man was not ready to be made well, that this man, after all this time, he was satisfied with the status quo. In fact, she makes the note, Beth does, that it would be risky for him to be made well, So he chooses to give excuses. He chooses actually maybe to even hold back so he doesn't get healed. And that's why Jesus asks the question. Beth wonders if perhaps the man doesn't have enough imagination. Perhaps he doesn't have enough of an imagination to envision what life would be like well. And that's why Jesus asks him this question, do you want to be made well? It's his lack of imagination that Jesus is indicting in this man. Uh, See, there's something about imagination for you and for me in these days. Last week, I had the privilege of preaching with you and talking about resilience, keeping the central things central. And today i want to talk about imagination because i think resilience and imagination these two go hand in hand and they're crucial in these days for us not just to survive i want to do more than survive these days i want us to thrive in these days i think resilience and imagination are the keys to helping us thrive in these days uh, Imagination, imagination is the ability to see beyond the tangible, the concrete that's around us and to envision new ways, to envision and dream new ways of what it means to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ in these days. Uh, Neuroscience, they talk about imagination being an inward journey more than it's outward. Um, Externally, you get all of the senses that pour into yourself. But but imagination is taking those senses, mulling them over, pondering them, putting them together, and then envisioning a new way of being, of reflecting on your past and seeing how God has been faithful in the past, how looking into your present and seeing how God is faithful now, and then envisioning a new future. All of that, all of that is imagination, past present, and future. There's something about us, something about us. As we get older, we get a little more cynical. And and some argue that our our imaginations are hindered. We become um, skeptical about mystery and wary of wonder. And we become doubtful of awe. We would rather have the status quo because that's safer we don't want to risk what imagination would call out of us, challenging us to see the world in a new and different way. It was several years ago that I was working with a group of young people and adults from all over the country. We were planning a youth triennium, international event. It happens once every three years for the Presbyterian Church USA. It gathers about 7,000 young people and adults from all over the US and Canada, but also from parts of the world. We met in different cities over the three-year planning period, and it was our last meeting together before the conference was to begin. And we met that spring in New York City for our last planning meeting. I went to LaGuardia Airport and picked up some of our young people and adults who were meeting with me. One of our young people's name was Kirk. Kirk was a senior in high school. He came from a ranch outside of Bozeman, Montana. He was an elder in this little Presbyterian church in his community. He traveled all the way to New York City with all these other young people and adults to help plan this big conference. Kirk was a big guy. He was 6'5", taller than me, easily 250 pounds, When I saw him come through security at LaGuardia Airport in New York City, Kirk had this huge white cowboy hat on, he had the Western style shirt, he had a big belt buckle, he had jeans, he had boots on, and I thought, yeah, this is pretty much Montana. Could also be Wyoming, but this is pretty much Montana. Kirk told me he had never been to a place like New York City. He'd never been to a place this crowded before, this diverse before. He told me he was concerned about his trip there. He was glad to see me, the other young people. We met in Greenwich Village, a Methodist guest house there for three days. On the last day, we got up early and said we were going to sightsee for that day, much of it. Um, We got out of the guest house. We were walking to the subway, and Kirk came up next to me and said, uh, 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 Raj, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna stay close to you because I'm a little bit nervous. I, I, people tell me that you know here in New York, people are mean and I, I, I'm kind of afraid. I recall thinking, Kirk, you're a six foot five, 250 pound white guy from Montana. Honestly, I think these New Yorkers should be more afraid of you than you afraid of them. But I, I sort of knew that it wasn't quite catching on with Kirk when, when we were walking down one of the streets to get to the subway station, and I saw that he was doing this. I, I, I said, Kirk, excuse me, what are you doing? And he goes, Well, you know, Raj, I got to tell you, back home on the ranch, when you see someone and they want to say hey, they honk, and you go, Hey. These people, they're friendlier than I thought. Every, everyone's saying hey, they're honking. I said, No, no, Kirk, when they're honking, they're not saying hey. When they're honking, they're saying, Get out of the way, don't. Wave to them. He's like, oh, 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 okay. We did the Statue of Liberty in Ellis Island. We came uptown. We had a deli sandwich at Katz's. We moved up to the Upper East Side because people in the group wanted to go shopping. We're Americans, after all. They wanted to go shopping at Bloomingdale's, just to say they've been to Bloomingdale's. Well, I'm, I'm not much of a shopper. And so I said to the group, okay, you who want to go in, go in. I'll stand here outside the store on Lexington Avenue, and if anyone's standing with me, you can stand with me. Get here at the usual time when we set it, and then we'll go back to our guest house and have dinner and finish up the day. So I was standing there against Bloomingdale's on Lexington Avenue. Lexington Avenue is about six lanes of traffic going downtown, southbound, mostly yellow lanes because it's just filled with cabs. You've been to New York City, those of you who have, you know. So I'm standing there, we're just standing there, and Kirk came out quickly. You're not much of a shopper either. There were others around us, and we're just talking and just watching people. New York City is a great city in which to watch people. I glanced up and saw that the light had turned red, and so it stopped traffic, and there was an older adult woman there, and she had one of those four-pronged walkers, and she was moving across Lexington Avenue, and I saw that she was moving deliberately but slowly, and I began to get worried, and I thought, oh, golly, she is not going to make it across Lexington Avenue in time before the lights turn. I, I wasn't worried that they were going to hit her, but I was concerned because I thought that whatever lane she was in, that cab would stop right in front of her. But if she hadn't made it across, there'd be other cabs now and other lanes, and she would just be trapped there until the light changed again. Before I could do anything, a gentleman who was across the street... A sanitation worker for New York City hopped out of his truck. He was emptying garbage cans on that side of Lexington Avenue. Tall, handsome African-American man. He ran out, jumped in front of this lady, and he guided her across Lexington Avenue, keeping traffic at bay, even while the lights changed and all of these calves were honking at him. They made it across the street together she patted his hand and then he turned back to wait until the lights changed to go back across the street to his truck i'm just standing there watching this unfold while the gentleman is there at the corner waiting for the light to change kirk next to me kirk yells out at him hey hey you you sir sir you a gentleman looks up, looks around. Kirk yells, Sir, you, I saw you. Sir, here, here, sir. gentleman looked over at Kirk. Kirk, in his cowboy hat, said, Sir, I saw what you did. That was great. You rock. And then Kirk started cheering. Woo! Woo! Yeah, you, woo, you rock. You're the be- Yeah, I saw you. You're the best. And then we started cheering because Kirk was cheering for this gentleman. And then people who were around us, they started cheering because they saw us cheering and they also saw what he had done. And then to our delight, that sanitation worker in his orange jumpsuit broke into this huge smile and he went, and we cheered and cheered. Light turned and he got across the street Hopped up into the sanitation truck and he headed off. He honked. Kirk said, Can I wave now? I said, Yeah, you can wave now. And he waved. That night, after dinner, we're in the guest house. We're wrapping everything up, having conversations, checking in with each other, having prayers. Kirk said, I want to share one thing. Sure, Kirk, what? He said, when I get back to Bozeman, to my church, I'm gonna tell him one thing. I'm gonna tell him that I saw God in New York City of all places. I'm gonna tell him that God wears an orange jumpsuit and he works for the New York City Sanitation Department and he helps keep old ladies safe as they cross the street. It was an act of imagination. Seeing God is always an act of imagination. And if there comes a time when you and I, we, cynics and skeptics, we think God is not at work in the world today, then that is on us because we are not paying enough attention because the God of the universe is acting. Our imagination is too small. We have got to understand that God is at work in the world. Our job is to be attentive and to engage our imagination. Every time our senior pastor, Tom R., talks about moving toward God's promised day, that is an act of imagination. What it means to move towards God's promised day, the envisioning of when that day comes, all of that is imagination. So thanks to Zach, we've invited some young people to share with us how they see God at work in the world, how they engage their imagination. So throughout everything that we're going through right now, I feel like I see God through this Bible study that I'm in with some of the other girls in our youth group. I feel like when I take like 10 to 15 minutes of any day to kind of read that portion of the book that we're um, talking about that week, I use it kind of as a devotional time to reconnect with God and really kind of like understand what each passage is about and use that time as just like my time that I spend with God every week and I think that that's how I've seen him the most throughout this time. I have seen God during family dinners filled with laughter, conversation, and music. During this time of quarantine I have seen God in my teachers who are working every day to help educate students. I personally have seen um, God's presence in the many actions that people have taken throughout the course of this pandemic. There are many videos that have surfaced of people seeing to each other across balconies. I interpret that as sort of love for humanity, love for fellow men. I know many people in this local community who have made masks and distributed them to people who maybe can't access them or can't afford them or they can't get to them. And you know, that's just an act of love for other people. And I think that that's really what God's love is all about. And people are expressing it, and it's even more visible in this time of tragedy. I think I've experienced God in the midst of all this by just having a lot more time to think about all the small things in my life and reflect about myself and all the people around me. So I've seen God in the amazing weather that we've had recently. Um, I think it's a blessing to be able to go outside and enjoy ourselves with family in the backyard or go for a walk. And so I see God every time I go outside and feel the amazing weather. Recently, I have seen God most in the rest. I think a lot of people are trying to find peace, trying to find calm in the chaos. Um, And I think that's making people a lot more patient and a lot more understanding and a lot more caring. And to me, that is how God is showing his love in the midst of something so horrible. Friends, God has gifted us with resilience and with imagination the ability to move beyond that which is tangible, that which is concrete around us, the ability to see how God, through the Holy Spirit, is at work in the world in these days. 38 years. 38 years he sat by that pool because he was not yet ready. Here's what I hope. I hope that when God looks at us, God sees that we are ready. We are a people who are ready to wake up and to let those waters flow over us. Because this is the God. This is the God of imagination that is drawing us toward God's promised day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org and we invite you to join us again next week.